Welcome to The Lighter Side of Dark, Season 4. Two of the world's greatest podcasters could not make it this evening. Instead, here are your hosts, Solio and Smith. Side of Dark birthday edition. It was, as they say, it was your birthday. That is exactly what they say. The Beatles were doing a little serenading to me right there. I appreciate that very much. Uh, yes, this is just a few days after my uh, birthday. Ask me how old I am. How old are you to this by now? <laughs> I'm actually pretty damn excited. Through this entire year, I had in my mind that I was turning 59 this year. Okay. I'm not. I only turned 58. Wait, you really you really had your I own really, age wrong? I really had in my mind. Is that what I have to look forward to? Yeah, I uh, thank you. <laughs> I, um, so, I, yeah, I was thinking the whole entire year, I'm turning 59, I've only got one more year in my 50s, and, and though, though I don't feel 59, you're only as old as the women you feel. But anyway, um, yeah, I just, I thought, I'm going to be 59, I'm going to be 59, then finally dawned on me, no, I'm turning 58. You know what it felt like? It felt like a birthday... Um, a daylight savings time thing. Sure. Yeah, it's like I gained a year. Right. Yeah. I feel like I gained a year. Well, that's how it would feel. That's that's the closest thing. Because, you know, the older you get, bir- birthdays were fun when you're a kid. You get to have parties and you're, like, excited to get older. But then at a certain point, once you've gotten to all the cool stuff, drinking age, rent-a-car age, then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 okay. All right, right. Slow, slow down. Slow, slow your roll. Slow. slow your roll. And then, so it's nice as, as you get into the uh, 50 range where you can actually say, wow. This was great. I got. I got to tell you, bonus year. Do you remember what? How long a year was when you were like eight? Forever. A year. You could like have, like a, a complete story trilogy of your life in your head in a year. It felt like uh, like a school year because one full year could span like part of a grade and part of another grade. It just what 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 amazed me is like the first day of school was like the Tuesday after Labor Day. It was always the way it was when. Back at, back in the old days, the old days old yeah. or as you refer to them as olden times. Olden times. Yeah, I mean, you you start. Oh man, I got I got to go through. And I was I live up north, and the winters were terrible. And and you know, three months out of the winter, you didn't go anywhere, or do anything. You know, we had a basement, and I had a slot car race set. You have to figure out what That's what I did. Yeah. I mean, my dad would go down and open up the, the furnace vent on the furnace of the basement basement to get heated up. We had a couple sheets of plywood down there and racetracks set up. We had a ball. You I mean, make the bus. The my house was the cool place to go at, at that point. Not for the fact that we had a big TV. I think our TV was 19 inches diagonal, and you got three channels. But... We had the had the slot cars. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. You know, the, the big TV stuff didn't happen. I feel till like after the the turn of the century, where then then like everyone had at least one big TV. But everyone had a TV, but it wasn't like wow, go to his house. He's got the biggest TV in the neighborhood because the big TVs were the projection ones, and they were so horrible. Yes, they, they, they were, were just they were the absolute worst. Yeah, so distorted green, yellows, and reds. Yes, and blues that, and stuff. And it was look it looked like you're looking at a comb or something. Just you kind of look through a fisheye lens in reverse. It was awful. But now it's like I would give anything to have a year last that long because now, especially with COVID, COVID was such a blur. It was. It really. It was like blink and the year's over. But blurs time stood still 
and and obviously as you get older years just go by faster because it's all relative but but it, it does seem like it accelerated things I don't know I, I think a lot of people feel that way because of, of screwed up our perception I forget the movie that I that I saw this quote oh it, it was something about uh, time and the uh, the quote was you grab a hold of a a hot pot off the stove you just grab it real quick it feels like an eternity that it was in your hands and it burns your hand mm-hmm. hold on to a hot woman for an hour feels like it was a minute <laughs> so time is I'm trying to think of the name of the movie I'll, I'll, I'll think of it but yeah no it's true though it is a good it's a good example of uh, just how everything is relative what happens when you uh, when you get 58 and all, and all that good stuff so all right. Um, so yeah. So ask me what I did on my birthday. Yes, please tell me what. I'm, I'm helping you, you with this whole interview process. Well, I, I want to make sure that we. I'll interview myself. Why don't you take the day off? <laughs> all right. Okay. Hello, Rob. How was your birthday? <laughs> well, well, actually, on uh, the 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 my birthday, which was uh, 7-Eleven. Um, I, I don't know if people know this, but on 7-Eleven, you can go to 7-Eleven and get a free Slurpee because it's my birthday. If you walk in. No, you're not lying. Walk up to the guy in the little brown vest and go, I'm taking a free Slurpee, son of a bitch. Rob Smith said I can't. I guarantee you, you won't get in trouble. That's right. No, just look at you. Kind of wink. So, got my my commemorative uh, Rob Smith Slurpee. And um, then got back, and my wife made me work in the sweatshop. Happy birthday. We need this shit done kind of thing. Oh, great. Seven items that needed to be painted. And there I was out there with the air compressor going crazy, painting the seven Mm -hmm. items as directed by the boss. And was there uh, any kind of, uh, if 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 you're good, we'll do something for your birthday later? If you're good, you don't get beaten. Oh, boy. And... The beatings will the continue beating will until morale up improves. So, so we're we'll just keeping downhill further so yes, and further. I, oh I, I work for about three and a half hours painting, and then finally I get a break around three o'clock, and my wife says, "Now you get to cook dinner. We have friends coming over." So I ta-da got to cook dinner. Now at least you're you're thinking to yourself, Rob, you cooked dinner. It was your birthday. I guarantee you, you cooked one of your favorite meals, which was, and no, I didn't. I cooked something that she wanted because she said the last time I cooked it, it was great. So I had to chop up uh, peppers and chop up uh, yellow squash and chop up onions and oh, lay that full prep. lay that down in a bed of a baking pan and oh, yeah. then put a big, huge black peppercorn pork loin in it, slice it down the middle. Looks like a whale's vagina. Just want to tell you that sure. right off. Yeah, that Not that I've seen one up close, but I have the National mm. Geographic channel. And you could imagine, too. I watch Whale Week. Mm. Not as exciting as Shark Week. No, no, no. But but Whale Week. And then um, right about 15 minutes before it's done, pour a can of uh, garlic uh, diced tomatoes over the top of it. Let it bake for the last 15 minutes. Awesome. Terrific. But you have to, yeah, you, you have work to be all doing all the prep. Yeah, so, but that's what, that's what birthdays are like when you're 58. You know, it's not like you're going to Chuck E. Cheese or anything. Or that's true. There's really no fun places going anymore. To the tra- left. Go to the trampoline park. Fun place would be just like, just go sit, relax, do what you want kind of thing. But, yeah, you know, then you get bored after five minutes. So. If, I owned a, if I owned a chiropractic business, I would just set up a, a pop-up tent outside of the uh, trampoline parks just for old people like me who come out and go well i'm not 20 anymore yeah just a quick adjustment on your way out if you thought it was going to be fun and then you remembered how old you are now i think about not five anymore that would have been more fun yeah even even in your 20s i think that the trampoline parks probably prone to somehow five-year-olds are just impervious i don't know what it is they can bounce and flop 
bounce on their neck and land on their feet. If five-year-olds get hurt, it's only because a parent was watching and they're looking for some sympathy because they never really get hurt. I know. They're just rubber. I, it, they are. And it then even when you're like, you can get them to stop crying if you say the right thing sometimes. So it's like, I know that nothing, you don't feel pain. You're growing, you're a superhuman little toddler. Yeah. So, so I, I got ordered by my wife to go in the sweatshop and work and order to cook dinner. She didn't even get me a card and she didn't get me a gift. Boy. See, the thing is, she's not listening to the podcast, so I can trash her all I want. Right? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... It's kind of sad, isn't it? That is a little bit sad. I, yeah. was, wait, I was waiting for, like, a twist here. When her so birthday rolls around, we'll buy her something really nice. You know, that's how I am. Yeah. I'm whipped. Well, speaking, I mean, of, I, speaking of whipped, a, a massive, huge thank you, thank you, thank you to Paul's wonderful wife, the owner, CEO, CFO, CPO, Sharky, whatever it is, of Cuppy Cakes because... You came bearing gifts today for my birthday. A bluebird southern custard pie. The the cuppy cakes version of yes, it, which was incredible in December. And it, I was moved by it. And now I have one that I'm going to be able to eat. And I may, I may, save a piece and share it with my best friend Ben, also from Indianapolis. I may. If he has not had a piece yet, then you know maybe uh, maybe you can give him like. No, he had he had a piece of the, the well, he was in, in December. All right. Well, and if he gets here in time, and he was uh, yeah, that's the thing because he you know, he he struggles with disabilities. He may not be able to get here. I can't ship it. Yeah. Speaking so. of shipping, I got something I got to get off my chest. You know uh, how big of a fan I am of Facebook. Love me some Facebook. Um, Facebook, where you can lose friends with four clicks of a mouse. It really has become a weird thing. We do a lot of uh, selling on Facebook Marketplace. And Facebook Marketplace has been a fantastic means for us to sell the wares that my wife does or the stuff that I buy and flip or whatever. And lately, last couple months, Facebook's been allowing shipping where they handle shipping. Now I want you to imagine something that's over three feet long, over two feet wide, and about a foot and a half deep. According to them, this thing weighs 25 pounds. It is as big as I just described to you, but it'll ship for $16.20. Boy, I, let's hope the Facebook shipping doesn't get any traction, because what? Yeah. What? And I'm like, they, they ask you for the dimensions and the weight, and you put it in, and it says it will ship for $16.20. So you, they, they print out a label. You can print out a label from them. It's prepaid. You take it to the UPS store, United States Postal Service, whatever. Oh, they did a drug test down at the post office. They found every drug except speed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, you but I'm about the joy for that. Yeah. So all I can tell you is there was no way this thing was going to ship for that. So this girl buys an item from me and pays for the shipping. Right. I do the, the research myself. The cheapest it's going to be to ship this. The cheapest is a hundred bucks. Oh my god. I'm not even selling the item for a hundred bucks. So I refunded her, her money. I clicked her back. Said I'm sorry. Facebook uh, grossly underestimated the cost. Wow. UPS was going to be a hundred and United States Postal Service was hundred and sixty and they said it was gonna be sixteen. So they were only ninety percent off. Wow. Here I thought they're trying to kind of find a way to hey we'll let you pay for this chunk and then we'll we'll bundle it together but instead it's more of a estimate come to find out. That's like I mean, really. Well, the cool part about it is they you you don't get your money from Facebook Marketplace till the item is received, and the person said then they send you after they take away the the real shipping cost. So I would have shipped this thing, 
and basically made nothing. Right. And I got burnt by eBay in the same yeah, way. eBay you. said something was shipped, so the person paid for it and paid for the shipping. And I could you uh, listen. Arguing with eBay is like arguing with an umpire who just made an out call. Sure, I know. They you know, know umpires never know. Oh, you know what? You made a pretty good yeah. argument. I good think, point. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let yeah. you say you're safe. Time out, guys. Flip that around. Everybody in the audience, remember this moment. Never. It should happen, but it never does. Um, I mean, I had two instances in my baseball career. He uses the word career. Um, in my, where I argued with an ump and had one call overturned and had another call uh, reviewed. So I've actually been pretty good about that. So that's why I thought I but should have always been a You lawyer. probably picked your spots because if it was yeah. only twice in, in all the time that you played, you know. Uh, there's a lot of questionable calls. I, 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 I was sliding in the third base. I'm, a, I'm actually a good slider, if that means anything. I know how to hook, hook slide. There's a, there's a I slid into third, stood up on the bag. The guy's arm swings around and hits me on the, on the shin. The umpire says, you're out. Like, see, so he popped up. And he I was standing hit. on the bag. Yeah, like he hadn't upside. touched me. And then the glove came over and hit me in the shin. Did he think you weren't on the bag or something? Because I, the timing of it I sounds... Was, I was six inches taller. Okay. So that should have been the first song. <laughs> so um, I, I keep my front of the bag and I'm like, I said, Blue, you got to be kidding me. How do you make these calls without seeing? This is you're, you're, you're the most amazing umpire I've ever seen. It's like you don't even have to see what happens in order to make the call. You are a genius. I, I totally agree. Standing on the bag, getting tagged, great call that's out in your world i think that's fantastic i don't know how you and he's like you're you're out he tried to throw me out of the game completely sure well, you know. i kept my foot in the bag my coach comes out and uh he's he's suspended uh for arguing with an umpire and arguing uh, a, a call and uh so my coach is just standing there kind of giving me the cut sign like you know shut up and i'm like uh excuse me i said i said uh blue you got your uh you got your book your rule book a uh, home plate umpire does. So I called the home plate umpire over. Here I am, 17 years old, you know, making this making this point. And I said, uh, I said, you got the rule book? Great. So do me a favor. Find a rule in there where I can be thrown out of this game for agreeing with and complimenting an umpire. And he just looked at me. I said, I didn't say he was wrong. I kept raving about how amazing he was, how he can make calls without even seeing them. If you can find anything that says I can be thrown out of the game for sarcasm, I'll leave the game. And home plate umpire flipped through a couple pages and said, "What exactly did he say to you? He told me that he was safe." I said, "I had no way, shape." I said, "Ask the third baseman. He's right here. He's on the opposing team. I bet you he tells you I didn't say that." And the kid went, "No, he just didn't do anything except make fun of the fact that he's a genius." And so the call stood. I was out at third. But I wasn't thrown out of the game. Really? Should have just been a lawyer. Yeah. And I had one call where I was sliding into second base. Um, the second baseman was arguing with the umpire who, who said I was out. He was trying to prove his point, And he was pointing to the cleat marks okay. in, the, in the sand, in the dirt. He was pointing to us saying, there's where he was right there. And I walked over. And I grabbed my cleat and I held it up and said, I'm wearing spikes. Those are plastic cleat marks. No way I made that. The umpire said, save? Overruled the call because the argument of the sh of the second baseman was that right. that was my that favorite. was what it that was his reason and yeah. that's the only reason right. this, this needs okay so the fact that he he should have yeah. just kept his mouth shut yeah but he wanted to prove his point 
Yeah, there's some some kind of ego, even in the major league level, you see that. You think that they, because they get there, they'd be like, all right, you know, we're at this level. Let's, but you know, then he got he gets a pissing contest on national television. We're sometimes. we're to a point right now where they have uh, computers that'll call ball and strikes. They've been doing it in the minor leagues they're, now for almost a year. They're, it out. they're about to put a home plate umpire back there to make calls for whether somebody's crossing the plate or not, but they're probably going yeah. to eliminate balls and strikes, yeah. uh, at least from a human standpoint. Well, you know, it's weird. I, I've noticed that, that the umpires have been criticized. The umpires have always been criticized, but especially home plate umpires the last five, ten years. The, the, the criticism has probably gone through the roof because think of the K zone now and, and how they show almost every single pitch they show the zone they show the whether it was truly a ball or a strike here's where it landed here's how it was called you never would see that in the 80s or 90s you would you know suspect maybe his zone was a little bit wide left to right or, or wow that seemed like a high strike but it was never as controversial for every single call and so scrutinized i can i can tell you right now that i never had a problem in my baseball there he goes, career. <laughs> um, I never had a problem with an umpire who called balls and strikes consistently. consistently. I think most if, players will say that. If you like them low, call them low. And if you like them high, call them high. But don't be cherry-picking and like a, a real low ball on me on the first pitch and a real high. I, you know, I'm 5'8". I'm, I'm My strike zone yeah. was probably maybe at the, maybe at the most two and a half feet. And it shows that when, that, when they have that wishy-washy, it shows that they're not really sure. They think it could be both ways. So when they start alternating the call because that's their instinct, is, uh, it, it would make me nervous as a hitter to think I have to swing at everything. You know, that's why we hate that as, as hitters. I had to hold up a game one time because I, I opened the game. They had a uh, left-handed pitcher. And he, uh, so I, I bet it right-handed, because that's the whole point. You have a, a much better view of the ball coming if you're batting the opposite of the pitcher. Oh, well, absolutely, yeah. Top of the third inning, they switch pitchers to a righty, so I go up left-handed. I'm stepping in the box, because I'm a switch hitter. In high school, I batted 465 right-handed and 379 left-handed. I mean, I, was, I could hit the ball. Well, I get up there, and I start stepped in the batter's box and the other team coach comes out and calls time walks over the umpire starts whispering in his ear and the umpire walks to me and says you need to bat right-handed i said i beg your pardon you need to bat right-handed you declared that you were right-handed when you batted right-handed in the first inning i said um how can i say this is bull spit without getting in trouble mm-hmm. i used the word bull spit so then my coach comes out. My high school coach was uh, 6'8 and over 300 pounds. He could, have a, a, he could have been a professional wrestler. That's a big boy. He's a big boy. His name was Bear. 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 That sounds about right. Coach Rosenstill. Rosenstill. And uh, it was, he was the bear. And a uh, big lefty through through sidearm left hand. Wow. So I got used to hitting off that guy so I could do with anybody. Oh, God. And he walks up and he goes, he goes, Blue, what what are you doing? Well, he declared, he goes, there is no declaration. He's going to bat left-handed, and that's going to be it. And if this coach wants to file an appeal, then that's great. But this is stupid that you would even entertain that option. People can bat any way they want. The only time they can't change their batting stance is during an at-bat. That is the only time they can't. I mean, uh, should umpires, even at the level of high school, which I know is a lower level than the minor leagues, of course, but... Even a minor league or even a high school umpire grew up watching the game, grew up knowing that there are switch hitters that exist. The whole purpose of being a switch hitter is so that you have the option depending on if there's a righty or lefty pitching. A reliever comes in righty, okay, now you get to bet lefty so they can't really right. match up against me. 
everybody that watches baseball growing up knows that. So how could the ump have even started to fall for that is crazy to me. Most people are just not aware of basic rules, and if somebody says something, they just they just go, believe it. Okay, well I guess well, the guy in the blue couldn't be telling me a lie. That's kind of how it. Yeah, that's how it comes off. He's wearing he's wearing a cross. He's got to be telling the <laughs> truth because he's Christian. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, last week we solved all the world's problems when it came to uh, religion. We made a couple points about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, this, this week, let's talk about another light, light, light topic. Light topic: <laughs> immigration. Um, so this morning, of all things, somebody uh, who is not normally political, a friend of mine, not normally political at all. Matter of fact, he's the type that will put a message on Facebook, just kind of general, that says, "Good night, my friend." Know this, you are loved. And 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 sometimes I've had a bad day, and I'll see that post. And I'm like, wow, you know, that it was just kind of uplifting, just reassuring, it, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. And he's not known for being very political. Okay. Well, somebody put a post up um, with our with our good friends from uh, Fox News, um, ranting and raving about the Biden administration is building shelters for illegal immigrants and giving them a place to stay and food and this has just got to stop so i watched about uh four minutes of the diatribe um of what biden so so he puts on there can you believe what this administration is doing come out and say it come out and say biden there's no reason to call it this administration well I did a little research because I like research. I think sometimes you can go to PolitiFact and find out what the basic... Yeah, certainly helps you build an argument or yeah, the, back the, up the, an argument. The, the subatomic level of what these things really are. Sure. Um, number one, no shelters were built. These were buildings that were sitting empty that the he made the cities in those areas claim as eminent domain, get them cleaned up, get the electricity and water turned on, and put some cots in there. Um, it's also not millions of people. It's not hundreds of thousands of people. It's not even tens of thousands of people. It's a much lower number than Fox exaggerated. <coughs> exaggerated us to believe. And so I put on there, well, what's worse? During the Trump administration, allowing and encouraging Nazi Americans to feel comfortable to come out in public? Or to say that the people in Charlottesville, Jews will not replace us and carrying torches, that there were good people on both sides, which was a direct quote. What's, what's worse, embracing that side of America or helping immigrants? And he put, he put his next response was, well, obviously you didn't listen to the, uh, the news report because the fact is this, and I just kind of stopped him oh at this point. God. I said, okay, here's where we stand. You're concerned with illegal immigrants. Here's the problem I have with that. First of all, I know a lot of people who can't say the word immigrant without putting the word illegal in front of it. They're two different things. Immigration right. brings about three and a half to four million people a year into this country. Yeah. They've successfully bastardized and, and, and uh, perjured. So now, word. if someone is an immigrant, they are an illegal immigrant. They're just, and now illegals, even. Yeah, just, just illegals. So I said, well, I said, the American economy which capitalists believe the only judgment, excuse me, the only qualification for a good economy is growth. 
they think that's the only qualification. Yeah, that, that's where we are where we are. Good economy has to be growth. We have to be better than we were last year. It's a capitalism, it's an American thing. What they're not realizing is, yes, there have been growths in our economy to the upper 1% have grown like you wouldn't believe. Yes. Some who were only millionaires are now billionaires, and some that were billionaires are now trillionaires. So mm -hmm. there is growth. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be growth. And now wait for that stagnation. <laughs> so I said, keep in mind, our economy needs, on average, 600,000 immigrants a year just to sustain our economy. The reason we get more than that is for non-working Americans, ones who don't want to work the jobs that the immigrants work. If the illegal immigrants, just the illegal ones, and, I'm, and there are people in this country that have not done it the proper way. Do I believe the answer is to shoot them, round them up, kill them, send them? No, that's not the answer either. But you need to give them a path to citizenship. But let me get back before I get too far off track. I said, these people, Americans don't want to do these jobs, but if the, just the illegal immigrants went on strike for one day, America would come to a screeching halt. Right. And white people everywhere would get their underwear and their Duluth uh, panties all in a big, giant, huge knot. So we need these immigrants. Now, the other thing about that is they, they weren't given $100,000 homes to live in. They weren't given free cars. They weren't given free money for the rest of their life. You know what they were given? They were given shelter and food. And where I come from, those are kind of important. Those are really kind of important. So I closed my post to him by saying, you're normally someone who goes on and puts on a post, good night, friend, know this, you are loved. I said, you've always been very positive and upbeat. And it surprises me to see a post like this and see you be so easily riled up and manipulated by a news report. But now, every time I see your post, good night, my friend, know this, you are loved, as long as you're not a piece of shit illegal immigrant, because you're not loved then. You love mankind, or you don't. Yeah. The people who claim to love it, who, who have to announce how much they love others and be good to others, and hey, remember, it's kind of, those are the ones I have the biggest questions about, usually. You know, what are you hiding? I hate to break this to you, but I could go on every single week and put a post about something I did to help someone. Yeah. I don't need to talk about it on the podcast. That's the thing. People who do, don't do that. I don't need to talk to it. You and I don't sit there and go, oh, well, hey, hey, uh, Solio, I haven't seen you since last week. What good deeds yeah. have you done? Well, let's see if, I, let's see if I've done more. Yeah. Let's compare. Let's pull out our good deed dicks and <laughs> have a dick measuring good deed contest. I, I, have, I have a friend I've known for about three years. He and his girlfriend are going to meet my wife and I for dinner tonight. And he wants to sit down with me. I told him, I said, bring a yellow notepad. That's all you need. And I'm going to spend about 15, 20 minutes over dinner talking with him because he just got a great job opportunity with the type of company that offers a 401k, wow. profit sharing, and all kinds of stuff. What is this, the 80s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he has no idea how to fund a 401k and has no idea, his words by the way, not calling him stupid, he says he has no idea how to put it all together to where he can set up for a future. Yeah. I said, listen, dude, if I was in my early 30s, I wish somebody would have sat down with me Absolutely. and said, 58 is going to get here pretty damn quick. So why don't we show you how to do this? So I'm going to do that. But I, And you're probably thinking, well, Rob, when is your parade? 
When is that going to? I was waiting for a parade. Uh, yeah, they just did the Stanley they're just, Cup. They're just uh, fun. They just did the Stanley Cup boat parade for the second time at a Cal. I know. Go Bolts! Just want an excuse to have parades here. Yeah. So I don't need a parade oh. for helping a friend with something he needs help with. Actually, right after that, I've got another friend coming over who wants me to wants me to help him write a business plan. He called it a business plan. I said, no, a business plan is writing up what you're going to do with the money when the bank loans you the money to start your business. Right. That's you, you want me to write up a business proposal. He wants to start a vending business. He already has the vending goods who want to use him to vend their products. So okay. he's so a step ahead. something going. And, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I can do a parade next week for that good deed. Right. Um, Combine it to the parade of good deeds and make you know, it like invite. I, I I have said you know the 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 wonderful uh, southern custard pie you just brought in is absolutely fantastic. I hope my thanks are are, are appreciated well, enough. Yeah, I don't know that that's worthy of a parade for you either. But because right. you you probably didn't you probably didn't do shit. Your wife probably did all the work. We did some of the shopping and some of the uh, some of the thought process behind it. But she well, was I'll nice you, enough. I'll give you a pat on the back. Yeah, you know, it, it was a team effort. But you know she she's the one that. Puts the, I, she's got the touch, the touch with the ingredients. So, so. the last thing in the post I put uh, out to him was, um, I said, well, I said, I would hate to lose a friendship over Facebook, but not like it hasn't happened before or since last week. Facebook one, friendship zero. I've been asking you to go to lunch for two years. You haven't responded. That's a fact. I left it at that. So we'll see how he responds. Yeah. Um, immigration is one of those crazy things that nobody seems to have an answer for. Yeah, and, and I think, and it's one of those things that the uh, Fox particularly loves to weaponize and and frame in a very very specific way to distract from everything else shitty that's going on, really. But but it's a very easy thing to weaponize. You know, they play on the fear and the anger, and oh, they're taking your jobs and blah blah blah, and they just then they just bang that drum. And then they try to get you to root for the cruelty of these people instead of just kind of stopping it. Hey, let's give them a temporary shelter so we figure yeah, out how to send you, them back. If you think um, uh, Wan or Ling Shi from China or whatever is responsible for how terrible your life is now and not billionaires, you really got your right. perspectives out, out, yeah. out, of, out of whack. Look, look at the big corporations and, and the billions they make and how little they pay people and how they manipulate the system so they don't have to pay insurance and you know they cut your hours they don't let you get over time they run things like google listen to how google uh, runs or, or or amazon runs things it's like almost like you're being bossed around by a computer because it's down to the minute and the second and the things they measure you're just a statistic so you, you know that that is that's it's just a lot going on now and you, you, they can do more for the people and they don't so you know, maybe it's okay to take a step back. Just well, they estimated that uh, Branson and Bezos and Gates, if they gave up seven percent mm -hmm. of their net wealth, could solve world hunger. World mm -hmm. hunger and silence. Yeah, seven percent of their wealth. Yeah, because they would recoup that seven percent in a month. Yeah. They have no interest in doing that because then they just gave up their entire workforce. Well, at least Bezos and and, and uh, Branson. I don't know if he still has employees or not, or if he's just sort of like the retired rich guy that used. No, to he was. He was getting ready to go to space still, last week. Yeah, he, yeah. Until he changed his mind. Okay. Oh, he did. Okay. That's, it's just. It's just bizarre. You know, the, 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 that's the folk. I guess. 
At a certain point, you do have to focus on some crazy technological leap, but I think the problem is the priorities seem a little out of whack, is, is maybe the argument. is Instead of having a, a, a space race pissing contest, maybe let's help people after this pandemic to sort of get things back on the right track, and then you can use your absurd wealth to continue to make things better. You know, it's... This just shows you how they say, even when they say they care or they make certain donations, it doesn't. Speaking of making things better, uh, next week for episode seven, I think, season four, episode seven will be next week. We're going to do uh, Dead Man's Dinner Party. Oh, good. It's we been, haven't, we it's haven't done that for season no, four as of yet. I've got, uh, I got some really cool ones uh, that I like. For those of you that uh, are new to the podcast uh, or nude, to the podcast, we don't really care either. We broadcast both sometimes. Yep, it's not a it's not a Zoom call. So um, yeah, we do something called Dead Man's Dinner Party, where we invite three people. They don't have to be men. We just dead man's. It just runs out schools. Cool. Sounds like a Western thing. Dead person's dead dinner man. party doesn't sound as cool as dead, dead human. Yeah, dead or primate. Well, they like the pronouns of they and this, whatever. So we, we invite binary human. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of I kind of see myself as a giraffe today. I'm a pansexual. <laughs> I'm bisexual. I had to buy most of my sex when I was in my twenties. So uh, no, uh, the dead man's dinner party for the eighteenth time trying to explain it is where Paul and I invite three people who are deceased, who are bereft of life, those who have rung down the curtain and joined the choir invisible, to a dinner party, and we talk about why we would invite them and how cool the dinner party would be. Past guests yeah. have been George Carlin, Ben Franklin, in my case, obviously Don Rickles, Dean Martin. That would have been right off the top. There's an entertaining group right there. Yeah. So you could see the possibilities. And then sometimes it's fun to invite people, whether you think about how they would interact or you forget to think about how they would interact, and then you realize, well, how might they interact with each other? Because they could all be from different time periods. So sometimes that that's fun to, to think about, too. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we'll be doing that uh, next week, uh, but we're coming back in segment number two with our featured musical artist this week, and season four has been the the and the. The and does. So we've done Huey Lewis in the News, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Last week we did Tommy James and the Shondells. This week we have probably one of the biggest and thes we've ever had, and Diana Ross. And the Supremes. And the Supremes. And we almost forgot, so here they are next. All right, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Solio from The Lighter Side of Dark, and I want to talk about my favorite bakery in the whole world, Cuppy Cakes. If you live in the greater Tampa Bay area and you have a special event coming up, a wedding, birthday, getting off probation, I want you to give them a call, go to their website, check out their work. It is impeccable. They've been around since 2011 and they make the most incredible custom cakes you'll ever see. www.ourcuppycakes.com or you can find them on Pinterest, Instagram, or Facebook. Check them out today. I promise you won't be disappointed. Cuppy Cakes, where life is sweet.
You know, we lost a lot of people during the pandemic, which makes me think of those people close to me. What if there was a way to remember them after they're gone? Well, now there is. My Forever Story. With My Forever Story, they come to your loved one, ask them the questions they choose, and in less than an hour, they have their entire life story recorded in their own words, and most importantly, their own voice. It's uploaded to the secure website and made available for all to hear, even future generations. No more trying to remember Grandpa's favorite stories. Now you can hear him talk about them himself. Your kids and your grandkids will be able to listen to your story from their phone or computer anytime. If you think your kids will read your life story, good luck. But they will listen if it's on their phone. It takes less than an hour, and in most cases, it's under $100. Call the toll-free number 866 913 3263 or go to the website my the number 4 everstory.com my forever story their voice their words their story all staff members wear masks and abide by CDC covid restriction guidelines your safety is our first priority side of dark featured musical artist season four the the season of the and does and this week i think we have one of the biggest and does of all time we do yeah, we, we do. do we saved we saved one of the biggest for last i think because, because a lot of the and, a lot of the and does we've caught ourselves saying well i didn't realize that tommy james and the shondells had 16 hits i didn't realize they had 16 mm-hmm. um and then if it was hall and the oats <laughs> Then we could we could argue that. Then yeah, then maybe. But uh, Di- Diana Ross and the Supremes. I mean, you talk about probably, if not one of the biggest girl groups of all time. It'd be sure. It's it's arguable. Maybe the one, maybe the the group that sort of defined the term even just because they they have such a just long lasting impact and still I'll go back at you know Motown in general was such a great label that I could go listen to Motown anytime and and they were on that label and just put out so many hits like I was just looking as a sampling like the first five songs of their most listened songs I'm like oh big hit big hit big hit big hit big hit it's it, you, sometimes you do forget when when here's one This is their song that put them on the charts. Baby, baby, where did our love where go? Where did it go? Yeah. They Casey Kasem was in. Here comes their song. Baby, where did our love go? Casey <laughs> always had a neat way of putting the cadence, you know. Oh, yeah. Because they're thinking, baby, baby, where did our love go? He's like, baby, baby, where did? Our love go. He knew how to draw out the pauses in the right. It was sort of like uh, the rest of the story, you know. Just some people have it, and they just know where those dramatic pauses should go. And they did have this word in a lot of their hits. Good old baby. Baby was a popular pop word. Yeah. Baby, so where did I love go? Was the song that kind of uh, put them on the charts. Yeah. And uh, baby love, obviously, in there. Hold on a second, a little slight difficulty there. All right, there we go. 
Um, yeah, there we did had. You, did you know who Diana Ross's fav, famous neighbor was when she was growing up? Oh, no, I did not hear about this little fun fact. Yep, it says here that she was uh, raised in uh, the Brewster Douglas Projects, a low-income housing facility in okay. Detroit. All right. And one of her neighbors was Smokey Robinson. Well, there you go. I wonder if he was like, damn, this girl can sing. And uh, there you go. The rest And he, Smokey Robinson, is one that introduced Diana Ross to Barry Gordy. That, that's, that makes sense. There's the Motown connection. And it explains why the music's so damn good. Do you know what the Supremes were called before they were? No, but the I, I'd like to know this because I'm sure they were something. They like, were known as the Primettes. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. It's so just, weird hearing the original name. Which is great if you're a, I don't know, butcher. Yeah, like what, what, what was it? What the Beatles, the Quarrymen, or something? Some or Quarrymen, the, the Quarrymen, like the early, early version of the Beatles. And it's just when you hear that, uh, the new, the, the new Yardbirds, or, or that that kind of stuff. Those stories. It's just you can't picture them the other way. So Supremes just fits. Yep, there were Mary Wilson, Florence Ballard, and Betty McGlown. Um, and then Barbara Martin replaced McGlown. Um, and then Martin left the group, ch- changing it from a quartet to a trio, essentially. And the, uh, the Primettes signed with Motown uh, after they graduated high school in 1961, two years before I was born. Wow, 1961. They're just babies, just out of high school. Yeah. Get them when they're young. Well, I was a baby, so I wasn't even born yet. You were a baby, baby. Even a, That's uh, why they kept singing about babies. That's all they knew. They were babies. And the uh, at Motown uh, actually referred to the, uh, they called them the no-hit Supreme. <laughs> really? Yep. All the, the, a lot of the Motown producers called them the no-hit Supreme. I mean, you got to give them some time. Because they actually had, um, let's see, three years. Okay. Before Where Did Our Love Go? Well, I guess in the pop world, that is a long time of pumping energy and money and studio time. That's an eternity. Now, nowadays, three years is four albums. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. It it is. You have to crank it out that fast. That's why you just need a team of people. It's it's never just singer-songwriter, release an album every four years. You can do that, but it's just, you you won't capture the young. They had five consecutive number one singles. Where Did Our Love Go? Baby Love, Come See About Me, all from July 64 all the way through May of 65. And then what about Stop at the Name of Love? That was another, uh, another that big was one. Their, that, that was their, big, that their was biggest, and we didn't even get there yet. Yeah, let's, uh, let, let, let's see how that, how that song sounds. And there's an example of just, you know, here we are. Stop in the Name of Love Before You Break My Heart, Baby. Baby. Put baby in there. Think it over. Baby, baby, baby. How many top 40 hits did Diana Ross and the Supremes have and Diana Ross solo? Take a guess. Oh, boy. I guarantee you, you're not going to get the right number. I, I won't. You're going to go low. I'm going to call Vegas and bet you're going to go low. Okay. 22. Higher. 31. Higher. 50. Higher. 61. Higher. 72. 62. Oh, damn. <laughs> You're like, whoa, higher. Okay, 60 still. Wow. 62. So combined, like her solo, her with the Supremes, her and... 33 and 29. 33 hits for Diana Ross okay. and 29 for Diana Ross and the Supremes. That's amazing. And I noticed that in 1967, she got the Beyonce treatment. They gave it, they officially became... 
Diana Ross and the Supremes. Yeah. But you know, Beyonce just said, "Fuck this, I'm going on my own." But yeah. But the, she she got the the lead billing after a while. 1967. If you're if you're wondering, there are there uh, Diana Ross and the Barry Gordy family uh, have gone on record saying that the movie Dreamgirls has nothing to do with Diana Ross and the Supremes. Really? I, I can hear uh, Cavuto on Fox and Friends going, these two have nothing in common. I don't understand how the liberal left is making it look like that. I, I just can't believe it. How there was a three-girl group, and actually Florence Ballard was a much better singer than Diana Ross. Oh, my God. But she was a little chunky, and she wasn't... Uh, she wasn't as, like, a, like pop. Let's just talk about, she just wasn't attractive. Yeah. Diana Ross, in her prime, very attractive. Or... If you want to know what Diana Ross looked like in her prime, look at Michael Jackson in 1987. Uh, Oddly yeah. accurate. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it. I don't know how hey, I Paul, do, it, do, you, do you know what you know? You know, you know when it, you know when it's bedtime at the uh, Neverland Ranch? Oh no, one. one of the big hands on the little hand. Oh god. But anyway, oh, oh god. Um, so yes, I went there. I believe it. So yeah, um, that, the the Dream Girls, the whole Broadway play Dream Girls, and the movie is essentially Diana Ross and the Supremes. Are we that stupid? Are we that easily led astray that we we, we, we haven't figured that? Stevie Wonder, who's also a Motown, yeah. is going, yeah, I definitely can see that. Maybe they're denying it. They're kind of doing the old wink, like, uh, uh, uh. What other uh, Supremes songs can you think of? Let's see. Um, oh, yeah. You can't hurry love, is it? I need love, love. Oh, keep me hanging on to and, another and, good one. And then, don't get me wrong, I think Diana Ross has a beautiful voice. Was was she as strong and powerful a singer as Florence Ballard? No. Yeah. She has, uh, you know, some people can get away with that. Some singers can get away with having a uniqueness in their voice. They don't necessarily have to have power. But you can never really predict who's going to get that pass. So, you know, some people, it's like, oh, well, their voice is really nasally and weird, but it kind of fits. And, and with other people, it's like, oh, they have an awful voice. They have no business being the lead singer. It's strange when, uh, I don't know. Tom Petty didn't have a great right. voice. I, I, as, as big of a fan as ja- of James Taylor as I am, James is nasally. Yeah. I've seen fire and mm-hmm. I've seen rain. Yep, very nasally. And, and also, and Stevie Nicks. And the gypsy the goat. that I want. <laughs> if you... <laughs> If you want to sound like Stevie Nicks, just shove like eight Q-tips up your nose. Try not to sneeze. Uh, and oh, give yourself a COVID test. And, and I, I think certain people just don't have really good voices. When I think of the Phil, Phil Bailey and Phil Collins song that they did together, that shows that a bad voice and a good voice together can still find harmony. But Phil Collins is nowhere close to the voice of, of Philip Bailey of uh, Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, Phil needs a lot of reverb in that. I definitely believe that uh, you know Diana Ross and the Supremes uh, was worthy of... Uh, have they been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because I know mm-hmm. Diana Ross was inducted in, I think, 2012, I'm thinking. They have to be, mm-hmm. because... Yeah, this, this and Reflections are two of my favorites. Both came out when Diana Ross was officially dead. Yeah, back when they had string sections. I miss it. In music. I miss the complexity. Just the complexity of Motown's music in general is just the best. It's like nothing compares. 1988, the Supremes were inducted. 
Excellent. Which brings me to um, another fun fact that I found out about uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Um, like many acts, success uh, at the Supremes at the beginning of kind of a bumpy road. Now, Ballard was fired in 67. Mm -hmm. Same year Gordy changed the name of the group to Diana Ross and the Supremes. Mm -hmm. Before that, they were just known as the Supremes. Mm -hmm. With uh, Ross's star completely eclipsing the other members. As a matter of fact, I used to say, uh, can you name the three members of uh, Destiny's Child? Beyonce and the other two. I, I know Kelly, but but I know that that's just, you know, we're also DJs, so yeah, we, we know true. that. In, uh, in 1969, she left the group, and I actually remember my mom and dad talking about this. When Diana Ross went to Ballard's funeral, when she died in 1976, I believe she died of a drug overdose, basically broke. I, I, that's how I remember it, I, uh, allegedly. Sad. When Diana Ross arrived at her funeral and got out of her limousine, the 800 to 1,000 people outside of the church booed her vehemently. Oh, my God. She got booed at a funeral. Wow. In the 70s. Wow. Now, it wouldn't be uncommon now in 2021 to have a bunch of white supremacists of her side yelling, hang her, string her up, you know, lynch her. Because the racists don't even have to hide anymore. They can just come right out. No. But in 1976, for a crowd to boo somebody, a big star, yeah, they, that, yeah, that's big news. That gee, they were not happy. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's sad. You know, it's like you want to remember the glorious parts and not the and not the the scandalous parts when it comes to the, that kind of talent. The scandalous parts are the interesting parts, but but that's just how it is. Sometimes it, it's not all. They did a reunion. Romantic. They did a reunion tour in 2000. Uh, interesting. Yep. It wasn't quite what the fans expected. I can't imagine. Um, so Ross was supposed to perform with uh, Wilson uh, or Cindy Birdsong, who later came into the group afterwards. But she opted to appear with uh, Sherry Payne and Linda Lawrence, who joined after Ross had left. So Ross had never even actually performed with either of these two women in the Supremes. That's so weird. It's like she, maybe she just wanted to avoid them altogether. It, it's such a strange... You know, like one person, such a like the original diva, I guess. Yeah, would, when would you think be, about it, would yeah. be the the simplest way to any woman, any woman who's popular in the gay community is definitely a diva, and yeah. Diana Ross definitely is. Uh, Ross was supposed to make between fifteen and twenty million during the reunion, and uh, originally Wilson and Birdsong were offered a whopping three million each. Wow! So they declined. They said, "No, nope, yeah. we're not interested in." in making her rich and reinforcing the, the point that she's it and we're just basically background yeah. singers. It's really, it's weird because it's, it's almost like they, she was just the chosen one, basically. Yep. You know, they, they just kind of decided she was the face and, and poor, ran with it. Poor ticket sales caused them to cancel the last 14 dates of the, uh, of the tour. It's weird. So. And it makes me think that as, if, if people could just kind of keep their egos in check and let things happen as they were, because if, if they wanted to brand their, you know, Diana Ross of the Supremes, fine. At that point, you know you're the star. You don't really have to kind of continue the, to be a terror. But some people can't handle fame, and maybe that's what it was, you know? Yeah, how many Grammys she won? I don't. Do you have that info in front None. of None. Really? I think, that, I think that's telling. They gave her 
a Lifetime Achievement Grammy at her 75th birthday. Okay. We're talking about Diana Ross here, not the Supremes as as, as an individual. Right, right. They gave her one. She was nominated 12 times, never, never won. won. She was the Susan Lucci yeah. of, uh, of Motown uh, Grammy winners. There's where you know you wonder if the politics play in a little. Like, oh, Diana, she's so difficult. I don't know if I want Out of all of the stuff that I learned about Diana Ross and the Supremes, this is the part that really blew my mind. You ready for this? Yes. Um, after her solo career took off, she did, uh, Diana Ross tried her bit at acting. Um, she was in uh, Mahogany mm-hmm. with, uh, with Billy D. Williams, where she essentially played mm-hmm. Billie Holiday. Okay. Cool. So she tried a little bit of acting. But she, there was a movie written back in the mid-70s called The Bodyguard. Wow. And it was about a romantic entanglement between a pop star and her personal security detail. Ross was supposed to star as the singer. See if you can guess which male star of that time period was going to play the what turned out to be the Kevin Costner role. And what what you said this was the 76. early 76. 76. Uh, Burt Reynolds. Nope. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. What, who would in trying to think when, when I tell you this. Because that was an odd pairing. No, when, when I tell you this, you're going to go, man, he was definitely the Kevin Costner okay. of that era. Steve McQueen. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. Makes sense now. Yeah, of course. So they were essentially, she was supposed to play the role that Whitney Houston played. Steve McQueen was supposed to be playing the bodyguard. The project never came together with those particular two actors. Obviously, fast forward 26 years later yeah. to uh, uh, 1992 with Kevin Costner. That's so weird. And, and that was sort of an odd pairing to the idea. Well, Whitney wasn't much of an actress at the time anyway. You were known for it. but All I can but, tell uh, you is the uh, one of the original, actual, physical bodyguards of Diana Ross. Yeah. Mr. T. Really? Mr. T was one, one of uh, Terrence. of Diana Ross's uh, Love Mr. T. actual real bodyguards. Yeah, Mr. T's cool. Ah, pity the fool! Yeah. Tough guy who just didn't want to go on a plane. You give him a little human, uh, human side, Mr. Tough. So there we go. We've learned uh, a lot about... Uh, Deanna. Yeah, yeah, that was a good. That that was a good. uh, They certainly have had. I mean, again, if you look at their list of hits, it goes on and on, and you you start to remember ones you'd forgotten. So uh, that's a good way to. If we can't think of any more end thes for our musical segments, that's a good one to end on. I think we'll think of more. But that was might. That was one of the sixty-two between her solo career. And with the Supremes, that's uh, that's quite a bit. Sixty-two. I did. I forgot. Kind of like she, you know, she had some disco hits. I just completely. You forget how much I'm music is right. I'm coming out, and then upside down was kind of a hit. And you see that terrible song that they play at bodybuilding shows, Muscle. Oh God, I don't know if I, I want muscle. <laughs> Dare, dare, dare. Is, that, is that like around the time when like physical came out with Olivia Newton John? I, th- like, I think it was before that. <laughs> like, let me let me see if let me see. If Jack Lalanne was popular. <laughs> no, actually, it's not. It's not on our. No. Uh, I'm okay with that because yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't need to hear the that. The internet tries to forget. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, segment number two. Next week, we're going to find another and the. So uh, don't be afraid to go to our uh, Facebook page and put any suggestions you have of uh, some and thes you'd like us to talk about or uh, or a Mount Rushmore segment or uh, suggestions for Dead Man's Dinner Party. Whatever you guys want to talk about. We're happy to, uh, happy to listen. And uh, speaking of which, our... Uh, Mount Rushmore for segment number three coming up momentarily will be famous comedy troops. 
not duos because we've already done famous comedy duos. These are troops. These are um, groups of people that work together in sketch comedy, typically, or movies. Here's one for Paul to listen to as we uh, work our way into. I know where we're going with this. Reflections. Great. By Diana Ross, Seven Supremes, on Hits 101.5. Temperature outside, 67 degrees, but in here it's always warm. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Solio from the lighter side of dark. Let's be honest, 2020 has not been a lot of fun so far, and we could all probably use some laughs. When I need some laughs, my favorite place in the world to be is at Side Splitters Comedy Club in Tampa, Florida. Live stand-up comedy every Wednesday through Sunday night. Nationally touring acts, there's even acts you've probably never heard of that are hilarious. If you've never seen a live stand-up show, I want you to go. They are so much different in person and they are so much better you feel the energy you really feel like you're part of something special sidesplitterscomedy.com you can get your tickets online you can pick out your seats online so you can sit wherever you want if you want to be in the back because you're afraid that's fine you can do that go to sidesplitterscomedy.com and grab your tickets today Looking for a unique and different kind of entertainment for your next fun event? Try a real live TV-style game show at your home or your next event. All your favorites, The Feud, Jeopardy, Pyramid, Match Game, The Really Wed Game, and on and on. This is no board game or DVD version. This is the real deal. Full-blown TV setups, just like going to Hollywood, but saving you the trip to the West Coast. All ages love game shows and styles available to fit all budgets. Call 727-531-8880 or visit the website at GameShowParty.com and plan your next event being the one everybody will be talking about. Game Show Party, located right here in the Tampa Bay area. Social distancing guidelines respected. Now it's time for our Mount Rushmore segment, brought to you by Side Splitters Comedy Club in Tampa. Side Splitters Comedy Club in Tampa. Paul is about to tell us who's going to be there this week. Yes, Anthony Rodia is going to be there. Anthony has a uh, pretty big social media following. He's got, uh, I think, over 700,000 followers uh, in social media. He's got, I think he's got a YouTube channel with like over 22 million views. So he definitely has an online presence uh kind of compares himself to the crazy uncle and the nutty aunt who's you know going to speak their minds to the friends and neighbors whether you want to or not that's that's sort of his that's sort of his point of view um he's been on morning show good day new york uh quietly claimed the throne king of off the boat comedy so uh he's done a lot of different things but yeah anthony radia he'll be here he's a special event so you're going to want to call and uh, reserve tickets, probably, get, a, get them ahead of time. Anybody else that, that, uh, that we know of, that we recognize, that we, uh, that we know? Let's see. Looks like, uh, no, Anthony looks like he's the headliner this week. We were just talking about uh, uh, local boy, uh, done good, uh, uh, Cam Bertrand, the com- local comedian here in Tampa. Uh, you just told me now. You saw him on America's Got Talent. Yeah, on that, America's Got which Talent. Which is great. I, I remember he started, I remember when he started, I was running the open mic at Science Blurs yeah. in Tampa, and he started there and was really, like, really good right yeah. away. You could tell. He was, he was a clean, 
but he was funny and he was like he just he's just unique I, I could tell right away I'm like this kid embraces what he looks like and, and what he comes off as and he does it in a way that stands out and and he really really as you can see he really nurtured that talent so it's great to see we'll, we'll, we'll be we'll be saying he's coming to side splitters soon I'd, absolutely I'd like to think well, I mean he's going to do well on uh, on AGT yeah uh, comedians typically do well. There's usually one that makes it into the top two or three, and if they make it into the top two or three and they're seen by 50 million Americans, um, they can pretty much write their ticket for the next few years. Yeah, yeah. You could you ride that wave. You you know if you can get some book, you'll definitely get some bookings. But if you can sell those bookings out uh, and and do well and get you know you have to like ride that wave while it's hot. But if you do it. That can that can buy you years of a career, and that's that's what he's planning on doing, I'm sure. All you have to get is one Netflix special, and I mean the the requirements to get a net Netflix comedy special is alive. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, did you a spit take over there? <laughs> you have to just be alive because it's like now you go on Netflix and they've got some original movies, uh, they've got some original series. The greatest original series on Netflix is Lucifer. If I haven't mentioned that, let's mention that seven more times. <laughs> Hello, detective. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Lucifer is great. Um, but used to be in Netflix, it's just like comedy special, comedy special, comedy special, pause. Comedy special, comedy special, comedy special, pause. Right. Luckily enough, they're getting some other stuff, but um, we uh, well, always a pleasure to uh, watch Netflix and like you say in your in your little promo there, get get your comedy on. We need to laugh a little bit. Yeah, especially now. I noticed that. I mean, I, I don't think it's any surprise that if you laugh, it puts you in a good mood. But uh, there was a study done. Really? Yeah. Right. Imagine that. Wow. Endorphins. Sadness causes people to feel bad. Is that what you're saying? And then then happiness. I see a correlation bad. sometimes with sadness and depression. Mm, your thoughts? I think that's maybe going a little too far. But maybe you're onto something. So we're, yeah. on a, we're on a slippery slope. <laughs> we are. We are. If we were in Fox News, we'd be talking about. Well, that's a slippery slope. That's a now. slippery slope. You can't just say. Eventually, we're all just going to be liberal, living a bit commune. Yeah, like that's what it just goes down to. Like, oh, okay. All um, right. So our Mount Rushmore segment this week are comedy troops. Comedy troops. Comedy teams, teams of troops. let's say like, three or more. Let's okay. Say. Yeah. There's some. I'm having. Uh, you want to go first, or you I want don't, me? I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think of. Because I'm so used to thinking of individuals or maybe like sketch shows. This will like, help you. Yeah. Oh, that was going to be my... Okay, good. Yeah. In Living Color. Okay. pretty much go... Yeah. Okay, good. In Living Color is the, the oh. types of troupe we're talking okay. about. The, and the, the cast vary, but there's like a core that I think of. Yeah, the Wayans family yeah. with Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey. And, uh, and Jamie Foxx and Tommy Davidson. Yeah. And um, the, the David Allen Greer, David Allen Greer, and the white girl Crystal, I think was her name. Oh yes, Takia Crystal, something or other. Um, but that, yeah. So now I don't know if 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 you can put Saturday Night Live in this category or not. I know because it's, it's so broad. It's been in another four years, it'll be fifty years old. And it, we we discussed this. We did a Mount Rushmore of best Saturday Night Live cast. And members. even that was too too narrow, you know. So yeah, so, maybe we leave that. So we could call this the Saturday Night Live commemorative Mount Rushmore segment. But sure. I, don't, I don't think that they qualify because it's not one group of people. Okay. And the Living Color Group is a group of people. Uh, Jim Carrey, massive star. Jamie Foxx, massive star. Even David Allen Greer and Tommy Davidson and and Damon Wayans um, yeah. ha- have had commercial success. Um, I think Damon was 
and Tommy Davidson were really the only two real stand-up comics out of the group. Carrie had done some stand-up, but was never really recognized for it. Um, they've done right. Some. He was like plastic face, but you know he got known definitely got known more for right. Living Color. That was like his national exposure. And and they they were they just had a, a such a wide variety diverse though it's considered a black owned and black operated show and so on and so forth in the Wayans family um, you know you, yes. you can't argue the fact that Carrie turned out to be the biggest star yeah and, and they were inclusive and he fit you know he was sort of had this this goofy white guy that had this animated ability uh, it could do something that no one else could do on the show it was a great contrast and it, it fit and oddly as, as, as much as he you would think maybe he would stand out it, it, it was them showing, like, look, it's not just going to be like Def Comedy Jam. We want it to be more Fire, Fire Marshal Bill. And yeah. What was the, the name of the character that he played the female warrior? V- Venus DeMilo. Venus DeMilo. Vera DeMilo. Vera DeMilo. Vera DeMilo. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he would make the bacon lettuce and testosterone sandwiches. And, and, and uh, so... And, and the female bodybuilder. Yeah, it was the one where uh, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne shows up and he goes, I uh, I am from Varicosa. <laughs> so Varicosa veins. Such a great show. Really, they just let him play up his, like, you know, with that, with her, and with Fire Marshal Bill. Those, those right off the top, the, the plasticity in his face. David Allen Greer and uh, and Damon Wayans doing men on film. Men on film, men on art, men on whatever, but they had that. That shtick was great. When we look at films from a male point of view, Pretty Woman hated it. <laughs> Should have been called a fish called Julia. Uh, great, great show. I, I love it. It has like a silliness to it, even though they, you know, some of the things may be controversial. Oh wow, God forbid you do two gay guys imitate two gay guys doing a sketch, but they were great. You Remember know? the famous fly girl who got her start? Yes, I do. Jayla, you may you, you may be familiar yep. with a lady named Jennifer Lopez. That's, Jennifer Lopez. That's, got a, her that's start. a good point. Yeah. She just kind of that was the she that was a launching pad. Do you know who did the choreography? For the Fly Girls, uh, I'm gonna guess it was if it not if not her, Paula Abdul, if not her, Janet Jackson, one of the three. Nope, <laughs> Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez. That's you know what I think I knew that at one point. I am telling you right now that if if I was on a show where Rosie Perez and Jennifer Lopez were nearby, I'd get nothing done. <laughs> now I will tell you that though Jennifer Lopez looked great back, she looks better now. She has absolutely. Wine. Age like wine. She has. She's hotter now than she was in her freaking twenties. Imagine that. It's like Jennifer Aniston. I think she's prettier now than she was when she played. Um, what's her face? I never saw an episode of Friends. Friends. So. Yeah. Yeah. She, she is. She is. Uh, Rachel. 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 Okay. Yeah. There's a haircut called that. So. Yes. All right. So we definitely got to put Living Color on this for for a comedy troupe. I will yes. let you call out that. All right. Well. I'm gonna go. All right. Let's look at let's think of troops. Oh. Well. Boy, I guess I guess we could consider Monty Python uh, a troupe. I didn't even think of them until just now. Of course. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Just, uh, just a few months ago, you know, we did give it a, a laugh, as it were, and I and I, uh, my wife and I watched Holy Grail because it had been long enough to where you know, and well, I don't know if we got all the way through, but we got three quarters of the way and it's enough it's just so good just the whole just from the from the get-go that movie will put you in such a good mood if you're if you if you know if you're someone who finds Monty Python funny that's subjective I have watched I love them every 
episode of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I've seen, excuse me, of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Flying Circus. Yeah. I've seen every movie ad nauseum. I've seen Holy Grail more times than any other movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. I just, I don't know if I've laughed, and maybe it was just the age I'm at now, but the scene early on in the Holy Grail with the with the a little, the argument over the sister of government the system of government between you know the, this peasant and and King Arthur. Who lives in that castle? Yeah, I know what lives there. Who is your lord? We don't have a lord. Well, how? Well, we we take turns to be as, as a bilateral committee, and we meet every two weeks, and only by a two thirds majority. And he goes, "Okay, shut up." What do you mean, shut up? I said, "Shut up." I'm the king. Well, I didn't vote for you. I didn't vote for a king. It goes down the line. It's right. just such a, and they play, they just play it up. They go as far as they can go with it. When you think, "All right, all right," they've milked it. They keep going, and then they have this peasant arguing and making counterpoints yeah. with old such woman, <laughs> man, what? I said, I, I'm a man. Oh, sorry. From the back, you look like an old woman. Well, I'm 37. What? What do you mean I'm 37? Well, I'm not old. I'm 37. Well, listen, I, 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 I don't appreciate the fact you talk to me like I'm inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, very nice. How do you become one? Probably from some, from some, uh, you know, farcical aquatic ceremony. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. But they, um, John Cleese, Eric Idle, uh, Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam, these guys um, and Graham Chapman, obviously, I have watched everything. I could quote you chapter and verse of their movies. Yeah. But they were they were the type that when they were working, uh, they started doing uh, a show called uh, the nineteen uh, the show of nineteen forty seven. That was just the name of the show. Okay. It was just sketch comedy, stupid stuff, and they wanted to make sure that their bits were short. And if they didn't have an ending, they would just stop. And Graham Chapman would walk in and go. All right, this is going nowhere. This is just getting silly. Let's change it to something else. And then they just go to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, What a lot of people don't realize, the Lumberjack song was a cut in at the end of the Dead Parent sketch. Interesting. The Dead Parent sketch, at the very end, he goes, Yeah, I don't really want to own a pet shop. I want to be a lumberjack. And then the lumberjack. And And that happened to become a very famous song on its own from that. But that's where it came Um, from. Life of Brian. You seen Life of Brian? It's been a long time, but uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's basically a, a movie where they joked about a guy who was living along the same time period as Jesus, and people were trying to act like he was the Messiah, and religious groups got nuts about it, mm-hmm. uh, and they go, "We, the only stuff in the movie religious is quoted from your books." We're just showing that this guy's not the Messiah. Yeah. You know, he's not the Messiah. He's a naughty boy. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 really a terrific movie. And then at the end, they went to Barbados to write it. They wrote it in Barbados, mm-hmm. the five of them. And so, Eric Idle is sitting there at the at the end, and he's thinking, "What do we What do we do here? He's being crucified. How do we How do we end right. this? How do you Do we now have him be resurrected from the dead, or do we have him roll the tomb thing back and just find a carcass laying there and go, oh, well, it kind of doesn't prove anything. And that's when Eric Idle goes, you know what? I wrote a song last night. Why don't we just have all the people up on the cross singing, always look on the bright side of life. And it was a great ending. And there you go. It was stupid. But it was still a great ending. And that's funny. That's the Holy Grail where the cops show up at the end and arrest mm-hmm. everybody. Well, the, you, you said an important thing. It was stupid. One of the things I loved about Monty Python is they're so, so brilliant. They're smart, and they play to the top of their intelligence, but they're not afraid to be goofballs, and they're not afraid to take really massive risks. Like that lumberjack 
saw, like you said, they just said, or the thing where they just, uh, the sketch isn't going anywhere. They, they had the balls to do things that were very unconventional, still, you know, maybe more common now as, as, as people, you know, try to do everything, but that was certainly unheard of then. So they're such pioneers, but I love that they could really play to every, they could play to everything. They could I, but I will tell you, when, when, when you and your lovely wife were watching Holy Grail, mm-hmm. does she get British humor? Yeah, sure. Okay. Now I hate her even more. <laughs> She's a gorgeous woman. She's really, really sweet and wonderful. She makes money making cupcakes. And she likes British she humor. She likes British humor. I'm She's funny, Paul, too. I don't want to steal your wife, but I just want a sample of her DNA. I want to grow one of my own. She's a keeper, dude. She, she is. She's, she's funny. a keeper. She's got a good... She's she's witty. You know why I think most women don't like British humor? And it's dry. And, and for the one woman that's probably listening to our podcast, if you get pissed off, great. Send us an email. Listener at lightersideofdark.com. They like... Women like their jokes to be set up in a certain way. Set up. Build up punchline that's why women like sitcoms sitcom humor is written that way weird plausible setup weird retort bam funny comeback mm. about every 40 seconds there's a zinger there's like a, there's like a formula with, they with have. British humor you have to pay attention that's why I don't, subtle. Think, I don't think they get it <clears throat> and I, I'm not calling women lazy I think it's a wiring yeah no, it just could be a, a tech a, like a, a tendency because there are exceptions like my, my, my wife is like, an exception but uh, Mark's girlfriend Vicky loves British humor yeah which I is love good. this woman. She's That's fantastic. how you know she's a keeper. That's exactly right. That's exactly she's good right. to him, and she gets British humor. It doesn't hurt the fact that they're easy on the eyes, too. That's always nice. Um, it's like the movie Airplane. I find God. that women don't like that movie in most cases. You know Because it's a whole completely different kind of flying altogether. <laughs> it's a whole completely different kind I of flying. Am, I'm curious. Now that you said that, that's a movie. We, we've, my wife and I, because I am a... a, a I can say this because it makes me feel good. I'm almost uh, 12 years older than my wife. So... But she's very mature, and I'm not. So that's why we work. However, there's a lot of movies. Yeah, I heard you read the 20-year-old's uh, reading. Uh-huh, I do. Read him stories. But, you know, so there's a lot of movies that I consider classics, and you consider classics, I'm sure, that she's never seen, even though she loves movies. But she's willing to watch them. So I try to think of timeless things, or things that doesn't necessarily have to be... Airplane's going to be outdated, but I think it's the like, humor. Hey, we're going to watch a movie tonight that's not a Marvel movie. And I'm curious to see. No, I, and I'm curious to see. She she liked. I'm trying to think. Really, she never saw the Princess Bride. She, she loved that. Um, she never saw the Karate Kid. She liked that. So I'm trying to think of things that kind of just have a good story that doesn't necessarily, even if there's outdated references, maybe the humor itself. And I think the Zemeckis brothers' humor was very I dated, unique. I dated a girl in in, uh, in college, and we went to see Airplane. Yeah. And she laughed two times during that movie. And so I knew, disappointing. I, I knew at that point there was nothing yeah. going to happen. You have to be able to laugh with the person you're with. Like, if you're going to, you know, if you're not just going to date them a few times. You have to. That's disappointing, because yeah. you knew, probably. Like, she doesn't get it, really? I mean, he goes, surely you can't be serious. <laughs> He goes, no, I'm serious. Stop calling me Shirley. Not even a titter. And that's the beauty of, of Leslie Nielsen in that movie, because he was known as a dramatic actor, and they cast him, and they directed it beautifully. They're like, we want you to play it. Rob- Robert Stack. Robert right. Stack played it straight. Play it so straight. Play it seriously. Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Play it as so, like as it's the most important thing. I and picked the wrong that to was, stop sniffing glue. Yeah, and they heightened the situation, but they still kind of played it like it's intense and serious. And then the gay guy, Johnny, in the control tower. Uh, Johnny, about some coffee. No, thanks. Yeah. You know. And he was one weird weird presence can you tell us what kind of plane it is oh it's a big pretty white plane with a red stripe it looks like a big Tylenol yeah and that's that's what it looked like at the time back in those days they had a lot of striped planes check the radar 
check the radar range. You know, it was up a microwave. About 15 more minutes, sir. Yeah. I mean, but th- this girl never even laughed. And I thought, you know what? It's just not going to happen. Just, yeah, just literal jokes, but quick and... and so, yes, if you... Uh, I, I opened up with Living Color. I knew Monty Python was there. That's why I had the sound clip ready for you. Monty has to be there. So right. what's your uh, what's your next one? I'm going to go with... Mad TV. I, I, I think that's uh, that was on my list. I know the cast changed again a bit, but I think there's... A pretty good, memorable selection of people. I think it's worthy of of, of bringing up. Yes. I mean, I, a lot of memorable sketches. You know, Stuart. Stuart <laughs> being the first. <laughs> we, we basically read each other's minds. You know. Oh, no, I can do it myself. Yeah, the Asia. I forget the lady. The Asian lady. Huh? Yeah. No, no. Uh, Miss Swan. Miss Swan. That was it. He yeah. goes, hey, ma'am, did you see the accident? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what kind of car it was? Oh, yeah. What kind of car was it? Oh, we looked like a, looked like a car. Right. Oh, what color was it? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, what color was the car? Oh, yeah, beautiful color, yeah. Poor Asian. Was it red? Oh, yeah. Or was it blue? Oh, yeah. Ma'am, what color was the car? Oh, oh beautiful. And did you see the man who was driving? Oh, yeah. Oh, what did he look like? He he looked he looked like a man. Yeah. It, it, but she's uh, the voice of Lois Griffin. Yes. After all, it's funny to think that you know she is physically most well known for being Mrs. Swan, but uh, for, certainly from a voice standpoint in any. Uh, and Michael McDonald's the guy that played Stuart. That's right, Michael McDonald, and I'm not sure what he's done since then. Um, he's been he's he, been in a, a couple uh, roles where he plays a, a guy in a movie. I've seen him in a few. Okay, and uh, kind of an, un, an uh, really an unknown talent. And uh, the Vancom lady, the one who was rude and racist, one of my absolute personal favorites. Yeah, was that the one with the Cabana Boy, or or was uh, am I thinking of something completely different? Well, that's something completely different. It's Monty Python, so maybe you are. Oh, maybe I must be thinking somewhere else. That Mad TV, mid-90s? Mid to late 90s? Yeah, mid mid to late 90s was probably the prime of Mad TV, I would say. You know, you had Artie Lang, he appeared on there, and he went on to Howard for for a long time. Somehow still alive. We'll see how long that lasts. Will Will Sasso. Will Sasso. He went on to do a lot of the, you know, a lot of impressions, uh... On the show, but also kind of played uh, Curly in the movie about the Three Stooges. That's right. He does kind of. I could see good, that. Good, uh, good fit for him there. Yeah. So yeah, Mad TV, um, and I like. To, I'll go on YouTube, and pull up Mad TV clips all the time, just to kind of get in a uh, get in a funny, definitely uh, funny frame of mind. All right. I think I know who your next group is going to be. So I think I've got the clip already. But, but we'll, I, we'll, I don't think so because I'm I'm uh, maybe I'm forgetting an obvious one. But uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, you're forgetting one. I big, must be. You're I, forgetting one big comedy group. I, I, I must be. We're not talking. Now, that brain that you gave me, was it Hans Delbrooks? Well, that's obviously Gene Wilder. But no. Ah, good. Uh, would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Marty Feldman said, Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. The Mel Brooks crew. The Mel Brooks crew? Is that like an official Absolutely. Name? Like I mean I know I know the people he tended to cast, but yeah, was that's it like essentially a- the same thing as Monty Python. It's 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 basically the Mel the Mel Brooks cast. Okay. Blazing Saddles. Yeah. History of the World Part Two. 
Young Frankenstein. Yeah, where you get like Gene Wilder. Eventually, Yellowbeard, where they paired up with, of all things, Monty Python and Chi okay. Chong. I didn't realize he had so many of the same people in all his movies, but I guess I guess he does. Christopher Guest does that a lot too. But yeah, I love I love Mel Brooks. So if that's if that's the case, if they're considered like, you know, a group. Yeah, the Mel Brooks comedy troupe cast yeah. whatever who, who are you gonna well i are you guys thinking about my, uh, I, did, I didn't figure my, out. this is more of a tradition was a traditional like actual sketch type of cast comedy cast group but the state back uh from the 90s michael ian black um thomas lemon who was uh officer dangle from reno 911 he wanted okay. that uh ken marino who has been on a few things so uh is that dan's brother uh no it isn't <laughs> no but it was a it was a sketch comedy show that was on MTV and it was really hilarious. And a lot of them have gone on to do other sketch comedy. Uh, some of them went to Reno 911 after that, but some went on to do even more things. Um, so that was uh, yeah. You know, I was trying to think of like shows or groups that again wrote together, performed together, like sketch comedy. Right. So that was who I had in mind. I also considered the kids in the hall, but I didn't really find them as funny personally, even though they're pretty popular and were pretty well known. That was another famous. Like, I watched about just, uh, they about just a season, for me. about yeah. a season of Kids in the Hall, and much like you, I just I couldn't get anything to stick. Yeah, me I couldn't neither. get any any like looking forward to this character returning or looking forward right. to the continuation. I tried every week on Mad TV. I was hoping is Stuart going to be on this week, right? Or is Homie D Clown going to be on during the call? Exactly. They or, they were able to do that. Yeah. And, like Dave Foley came out of Kids in the Hall even and he, he you know was kind of famous he got on news radio for a season and a half and at least was known but it just I, I felt the same I never I would tune in because it was HBO and, and they sort of had more freedom to do what they wanted it with comedy so I'm like well that's cool I knew they were Canadian which you know Canadian humor English humor it doesn't bother me if, if it's funny just never Second City Second City Second City yeah that, that would that, be that's if anything one. maybe I maybe I should have mentioned Second City as my because Second City might as well have been the southern tip of Canada because yeah. there were so many good Canadian comedians that eventually went on to SCTV and yeah. Second City and really that would be a good example of who should be on here because they had a core that you could you know John Candy Rick Moranis Dave Thomas Catherine O'Hara Eugene Levy are like just these are just coming out of my head right now yeah some of these people, I mean, God, if John Candy was alive, he was the biggest star at the time of all of them before he died. But Eugene Levy is still at the top of his game now with, with uh, Schitt's Creek. Creek. You know, and his, him and then his son now winning awards. It's just how, what versatility and longevity Catherine O'Hara, too, you know, still. So, yeah, I would actually give them my, my nod, maybe. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know if we could put S, SCTV or Second City ahead of, of Python or, or Mel Brooks or even Living Color or even Mad TV, but man, in the early '80s, and I was, I was in Canada the first time I got to see SCTV. Yeah, I was in the physical country of Canada in Toronto, and so we were up in my. Uh, I was staying there for the for the Peace Games, the U.S. Canadian Peace Games. So you stayed with a another member of the opposing team. You stayed at their house. Right. And it was kind of like this big long weekend, you know, sleepover. You know, and he's hey, hey, he goes, all right, SCTV's coming on. What's that? He goes, you don't get SCTV down in the States? I'm like, no. So, and that's, the, they, they had uh, Doug McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Doug and 
Mike McKenzie. Yeah, Mike and Doug McKenzie. You know, and the, and the, this theme song came on. You know, and he's, every every guy in the room is getting excited. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? It's good day. Hey, welcome, Hoser. You know, and it was like, oh my god, this is funny. And then it went into some other stuff, and I'm just like, man, I really love that show. I don't know if I could if I carved them in as as one of the four spots because you'd have to bump somebody else. Well, you know, the what the the reason I think of them, it's not because because. If the argument is who had the most memorable sketches or characters, then, then then it gets shaky. But I look at their careers as a whole, and I think of the stars they produced. So that's kind of what made me think of that. I didn't really get exposed to SCTT. Preparation H too. is also great on the whole. It is great on the whole, especially depending on uh, what's what's going on <laughs> in the whole. Five in the whole. Uh, but so yeah. How come I mean, Preparation H is not capitalized on Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash as like a theme song? I, did they want to use that in a commercial or something, and they and the, the cash estate burns, wouldn't let burns, burns, I feel like they. I don't know if that's a, like I don't know if that's a, a, a old wives' tale. Or hot, 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 hot. <laughs> <laughs> Buster Poindexter probably would have been down. Just give me some money. My ass is on fire. <laughs> Boy, you know a musician's broke enough. He's gonna he's gonna sell the rights to Preparation H. Yeah. Maybe that should be the the. Every time we see that Chevy truck commercial here, Bob Seger singing like a rock, I just go, man, like a sellout. I, I know, that's true. Even then, I remember thinking, come on, man. Because they played it to death, too. Like, they just killed it. And he, you know, he already got plenty of airplay. It's not like Bob Seger's hurting. Speaking of comedy troops, one guy was literally this close to being a member of Monty Python's Flying Circus and chose not to join the group. Hmm. Did some collaborative writing okay, with him okay. first season but he was this close to being a member of Monty Python Flying Circus eventually became a cast member for Mel Brooks and that was Marty Feldman okay Marty Feldman he would have fit in Monty Python oh my god we are talking about um, some of the greatest classic humor um, and the look of him was just great yeah was like, damn your eyes too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. And he was really, really close to being a, uh, a member. And then he was also uh, instrumental in putting together the uh, the final movie that Graham Chapman uh, did, which was Yellowbeard, before okay. before he died. Uh, it was with a combination of the Mel Brooks cast, all of them, yeah. and the Monty Python cast, and add in Cheech and Chong. Wow. For those of you that have not seen it, Oh, my God. How do you get enough lines in for that many people? Dude, I am here to tell you. Uh, have you seen it? No. Okay, before you leave today, first of all, you got to help me unload my van. <laughs> all right. Secondly, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you a yellow beard to take home. Okay. And, do, uh, and actually watch it this week. Even if you watch it by yourself, yeah, watch it with your lovely wife, I bet she'll get it. Uh, if you say she likes British humor, she'll definitely get it. And then you can tell me about how good you think it was. Sure. Because you're going, wow, it was a Monty Python movie, and I really don't know about it it's one that like a super group kind under of the almost. radar yeah weird but yet so well written you would think with a group as popular as Monty Python and, and god Cheech and Chung too and all of them Madeline Kahn yeah is yeah, she was part of the crew that the Mel Brooks crew for sure yeah I, I'm surprised maybe it was too big but yeah I'll, I'll there's, a, there's a great scene that doesn't read it for you uh, they, they find Blackbeard's uh, excuse me Yellowbeard's wife okay and Yellowbeard had just ran through and broke into his safe and took his stuff and left and his wife's laying there on the bed Madeline Kahn's laying there on the yeah. bed and the 
police show up and they're like, what happened, ma'am? She says, uh, he goes, did you see anyone come through here? She says, no, no, didn't see a soul. Uh, you know, oh, wait a minute. A guy did come through and rape me <laughs> just a few minutes ago. I don't remember too much about it. It was that kind of stuff. You yeah. got, really got to pay attention. Yeah. That's the end of the Mel Brooksy yeah. right the, there. The, the, scene, the scene opens. He goes, hello, are you Yellowbeard? He walks up. It's Graham Chapman plays a fantastic Yellowbeard. And he's like, uh, he goes, yes, I am. And he goes, uh, all right. He goes, uh, we've decided to, uh, he goes, hold on a second there, lad. I'll get out today. Been in here for 20 years. I get out today, so I become free. He goes, nope, we've decided to extend your sentence another 20 years because due to conditions nowadays, we didn't expect anyone to live for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> so that's how it starts. And then it just goes on from okay. there. Great movie. Highly recommend you watch that's it. Funny. Yeah, so that yellow, that yellow beard. Yellow beard. I can't believe it. All right, so, uh, so our final four if in the NCAA uh, would be... We'll do uh, Monty. Monty Python. Python. We know. We'll it'll do... Uh, Mel Brooks. The, the Mel, Mel's crew. Living Color. In Living Color, you can be what you want to be. Mad TV, SCTV. Mad and SCTV. Teetering. Yeah. That, that, I think that depends on what you prioritize, whether you prioritize memorable sketches and characters. Yeah, the McKenzie Brothers are memorable, but I didn't really relate to them because I'm not Canadian, so that I didn't really care about that sketch. But... They did produce a lot of stars, so there's that kind of, uh, you know, maybe maybe we have to have a vote on that one. We could call it the Eugene Levy theory. <laughs> the, the, the Levy theory. Huh? What does make a sitcom? Did you, did did you vicariously see uh, what was her name, Shannon Elizabeth, whatever, stripped down naked in uh, in American Pie? Because if you if you could see that, if you were offset, you could see that. That's a star for me. That's a gold star. That would be a star. You got a story not many people have. Yeah. You got a memory up there in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> you can say it, Paul. Yeah. It's bank bank. Yeah. It is. I did get to use one of my favorite jokes last night uh, at my gig. I said, uh, I said, wow, I said, that song, I remember that song. I lost my virginity to that song. And the guy goes, what was her name? And I said, oh, well, I didn't have a partner until a couple years later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one thing at a time. My goodness. All right, so next week uh, we need to come up with an and the for next week. All right, we have time to think about it. There's enough, there's enough and as out there. And you think so? And I, I, I hope so. If not, we're going to have to switch gears. Here's one you can't pick. Edie Brickell and the Bohemian. And, and, and the New Bohemian? And the New Bohemian. I know what happened to the old Bohemians. Because <laughs> they have one, one song. Yeah. Then did did she? What I am is what I am, and what I whatever. It's like, it's like it was skinny. Like Paul Simon probably wrote for her anyway, for all I know. Now let's let's talk about this. Can we do Prince and the Revolution? I don't know because there's enough music with the and the Revolution. Yeah, it's and it's not so much about that because God, Prince is so prolific. It's just it's like how much of it is just Prince and the Revolution is sort of. You know, they could be the revolution, they could be the new power generation, they could be whatever for Prince as far as he's concerned. So I'll leave that up to you because you, it you just, have... It just came to me. Yeah. Next week's Mount Rushmore will be KC... Oh! And the Sunshine Band. And the Sunshine Band. And that's an interesting story, so we'll save it. We'll, you know, the, you explain how that works, so uh, I'll, I'll leave that for next week. Yeah, no, no about a doubt. So next week will be Casey and the Sunshine Band. We're also going to be doing uh, our Dead Man's uh, Dinner Party and our Mount Rushmore for next week. We're coming uh, towards the end of uh, July. How about... What? I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, uh, July, uh, let's see. Summer, summer activities? Summer, the top uh, four... That's a good July... 
I think we already did Fourth of July something probably last year. Mm. All right. Well, we'll just we'll just have to uh, we'll put we'll try to put it on the Facebook page, which is oh LSD podcast. If you go to uh, facebook.com slash LSD podcast, you can just search for it that way LSD podcast. Uh, or if you just want to go to the website, go to lightersideofdark.com. If you want to contact us and tell us every uh, couple of weeks or so, we'll dip into the email bag and uh, read some of the things. And There's Dave Lederman call it viewer mail. Viewer, viewer listener mail. Uh, things People have opinions, as it turns out. Some of them are not not glowing. You and know what they say. Uh, opinions are like assholes, and we have a lot of assholes with opinions. We sure do. That's how it is. So, uh, so every once in a while, we'll dip into that, too. So if you would like to write us, it's listener at lightersideofdark.com. Well, uh, it's been a great birthday episode for me. Thank you, Paul, for the uh, Southern Custard Pie. Be sure to enjoy extend it. My, my deepest gratitude to, uh, to your lovely I wife. I will. Take a big spoon and, and enjoy that pie to yourself. It's a I'm, single serve. I'm a gunner. I'm a gunner. <laughs> and, Paul, it was great working with me. It was. It was. We'll see, see everybody you. next week. See you guys. Side of the Dark podcast is a brainchild of DJs Rob Smith and Paul Solio. A weekly podcast recorded in the famed DJ School Studios in Spring Hill, Florida. Original music provided by Seth Brook and a local Tampa band called Utska. Announcer Dave Anthony. Nothing in the podcast is meant to be taken seriously for entertainment purposes only. Written and produced by both Rob Smith and Paul Solio. Visions of RSP Events and Entertainment and Solio Entertainment. Edited by Rob Smith. Written by Paul Solio. Hey everybody, Rob Smith here from the Lighter Side of Dark. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your busy day to listen to one of our podcasts. Don't be afraid to go back in the archives and start at the beginning. Season 1, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. But first of all, thanks for being a listener. We do appreciate it.